Please keep your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 1. Mountains of truth in these three, several verses. We will focus on one major truth, which is found when the angel said to Mary, or said to Joseph, uh, you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Verse 23. Father, we pray that by the Spirit of God that we would be in awe and wonder today as we consider, as we meditate upon this profound truth. We give you praise and honor. Speak to every heart. May their hearts, may each of our hearts be receptive. Accomplish your good pleasure in this time together. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. We'll title the message simply, Jesus Saves His People from Their Sin. That's what verse 21 says, doesn't it? And in 1 John 3, 5, And ye know that he was manifested, he appeared in visible form to take away our sin. And in 1 Timothy 1, 15, This is the faithful saying worthy of all acceptation that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm chief. This is not something you've not heard before, but it is something that gets put into the background of our lives and we live without astounding wonder in our minds and hearts. He came to save his people from their sin. Well, says one of the most famous preachers in America who preaches to multiple thousands every week, quote, I don't have it in my heart to condemn people. It was in the context of being interviewed on television, and he was explaining why in preaching he does not use the word sin or sinner. Because he doesn't have it in his heart to condemn people. In John 3.18, Jesus says, He that believeth on him is not condemned. He that believeth not is condemned already. Because he is not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. The Christian message is not one of condemnation, but the way out of holy and just condemnation because of our sin. So we must warn ourselves and others. The wages of sin is still death, and we must point them to Christ. We can do a lot of things, and in mission fields and around the world and here and other places, many times we have opportunities to minister to people physically, but if that's all we do, shame on us. The primary focus must be their greatest need, which is forgiveness of sin. But you know... Maybe you've not thought about it this way, but if sin does not exist, you don't need Jesus. Did you know that? 
He came to save his people from their sin. If I don't have a sin problem, why do I need Jesus? Maybe that's why Jesus is not so important in many people's lives, even in the pulpit, in the churches. Christian religion seems to major these times on minimizing sin and promoting various forms of religious entertainment. Or people from the back pew to the pulpit don't need Jesus because they don't have sin. We don't have sin anymore. There was a secular psychologist many years ago who wrote a book, Whatever Happened to Sin? He was not a Christian. But he understood something was transforming in the way people thought. Evangelicals, and the many of them in the pulpit, are taking psychotropic drugs almost like eating candy. What's happened? You don't have a sin problem. You have a mental problem. You have an emotional problem, just like cancer or diabetes. Things that used to be sin are no longer sin. There have been several editions of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, well over 200 entries, and many of them, you could read Galatians uh, 6, 19 through 21, where it has the works of the flesh, and that's what, the, that's what they're describing. However, there are some psychiatrists who are having second thoughts, and these people are not Christians necessarily. I don't know if any of them are. They're not presenting this as Christians, but just from their expertise and from their experience as highly trained Ph.D. psychiatrists. Quote, there are no objective tests in psychiatry. No x-rays, no laboratory, no exam findings that definitely says that someone does or does not have a mental disorder. There is no definition of a mental disorder. It's, well, I can't say what he said next. I mean, you just can't define it. Who would make a statement like that? Alan Francis, psychiatrist and former DSM-4 task force chairman. He was a chairman when they did the fourth edition of this book that has all this list of mental disorders. Another one says, virtually anyone at any given time can point to the criteria for a bipolar disorder, ADHD, anyone. And the problem is that everyone diagnosed with any of these illnesses triggers the pill dispenser. Despite over 200 years of intensive research, no commonly diagnosed psychiatric disorder have proven to be either genetic or biological in origin, including schizophrenia, major depression, manic depressive, various anxiety disorders, childhood disorders, attention deficit, hyperactivity, At present, there are no known biochemical imbalances in the brain. 
of typical psychiatric patients until they're given psychiatric drugs. Isn't that interesting? Dr. Peter Bregan, psychiatrist. Another one says, no behavior or misbehavior is a disease. Or can be a disease. That's not what diseases are. Diseases are malfunctions of the human body, of the heart, the liver, the kidney. Typhoid fever is a disease. Spring fever is not a disease. Now, not that spring fever is on their list, but the point is, there are a lot of things that are being called disease. And if you want to be attacked, dare to suggest these quotes. You say, why are you laboring that point? I've dealt with many people over the years. I've never told someone to stop taking a psychotropic drug. I've said, if it's helping you, rejoice. Simultaneously, feed faith. And that these drugs have a way, and your body has a way of changing What is helping you this year may not help you next year. If you have stability to any degree, feed faith. Because these things may help, but they don't deal with the solution. But the point of it is, with all this, I don't need Jesus. I've had people, I still remember a man sitting in my office calling one to meet with me. And no matter what I said, and he was concerned because all of the different drugs he had tried, none of them now worked. But no matter what I said, he said, but I'm bipolar. He had taken on an identity, and it didn't matter what the Bible said about behavior, we, we couldn't explore if there's any sin connection whatsoever. It's just, it's just like I have cancer. I'm bipolar. Now, we can get emotionally and mentally all mixed up in all manner of ways in a fallen world. There's no denial of any of that. And again, I've never told someone to not take medication. But knowing the nature of man, knowing the nature of what God says, we need a Savior. We still have to deal with sin. Having whatever you have doesn't relieve you or me from having to deal with sin. If you don't deal with sin, you're saying no to Jesus. You don't need him. Whatever I have, Jesus can't fix Another, there's all kinds of things that are in our world that are saying we don't need Jesus, certainly not a, a Savior who saves from sin. That's what the whole powerful teaching of evolution is all about. Instilling from the youngest age the minds of, in the minds of children that we didn't come from God, and so we have no accountability to God. 
Religion may be okay if it's okay for you. If you like that, that's fine. But it's not like that there is a sovereign God. It's not like you were created with a purpose. It's not like you have to answer to him. It's not like he has something transforming for you. Denial of sin. So, the beauty and the power and impact of the birth of Christ will never be felt, will never be owned, unless I first of all face up to sin, to my sin. We don't, we don't like such negativity. Well, you have to go to another planet because on planet Earth, you can't escape sin. Because of sin, human relationships get involved with strife and greed and selfishness and lust and hate. Because of sin, every person's relationship with God has been broken. Sin has left every human being under the just and holy wrath of God. It is sin that brings worldwide chaos. You don't get that from the evening news. And dare we say that the destructive storms that came through, have you read your Bible? The Bible has much to say about God's control of the weather And before sin, none of this would have happened. Those who were hit head on with this yesterday are not greater sinners than anybody else. Jesus dealt with that in Luke, I think it's 14, 15, or 16. The tower fell. Are they greater sinners than others? People are worshiping. Pilate's man comes in and just slaughters them. Are they greater sinners than others? No. I tell you that unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Three people, so far as I know, died in the Nashville area. Three people in maybe Montgomery County. And on that same day, thousands of others died all around the world. Because the wages of sin is still death. I don't like to talk about it. But that's what the reality is. All who die in childbirth, all who die from heart disease, all who die from cancer, from war, from murder, from abortion, all the accidents or dying of old age or whatever, are dying because sin entered into the world. The Bible says that wages of sin is death. You will never be astounded. You will never be amazed. You will never be filled with joy unless you face the reality of your sin and the sin that's all around us. And it's only when we face that that we really get excited about Jesus. He's the only solution to sin. You shall call his name Jesus for you'll save his people from their Sins. Because of sin, 
in order to bring about rescue. Jesus not only came to earth, he became sin for us. He took upon himself our sin. The sinless God of the universe, in order to deal with sin, could only do it one way, and that is to send his son and his for sin to be made guilty of our sin. So if you want to go and sit under a pastor who doesn't want to condemn people, doesn't want people to feel bad, have enough problems, so we're not going to talk about sin. Well, then don't use this book. The Bible mentions sin about 800 times. Sin's a problem. At the heart of the birth of Jesus Christ... I think I heard many years ago a message that John MacArthur preached on this. He called it the ugliness of sin. And that's what we're looking at this morning. And that's what we need to be impressed with. The ugliness of sin. Many years ago, a man named Thomas Guthrie, and this is just a portion of what he wrote. He said, who is the painted tempest who steals our purity? Who is the murderess that destroys our life? Who is this sorceress that first deceives and then damns our souls? Sin. Who with icy breath blights the fair bosoms of youth and breaks the hearts of parents? Sin. Who changes gentle children into snakes and tender mothers into monsters and their fathers into worse than Herods and murderers of their own innocence? Sin. He had about three pages of just explaining out sin. So this raises another question. If this is the nature of sin, why do we love it? It says a lot about us, doesn't it? Here is something that really gets home. You realize that I don't know the percentage. I'm just going to say the majority of jokes that you've ever laughed at were about sin. Making fun of sin. Making light of sin. I still remember back in the day when Clinton was president and having all that hullabaloo with that lady and and openly saying to the whole nation that he did not have sex with her. And I kept walking into the auditorium and hearing people tell jokes about Bill Clinton. Would hear it out in the world and hear it in this congregation. And I stood in the pulpit and said, don't you do that anymore. That's not funny. That's sin. You know, I have forgotten that. There have been a number of times since then that I have laughed at sin. It ain't funny. God does not laugh at sin. And 
And God's word does not hide the ugliness that brought Jesus to the earth. We will rejoice in the birth of Jesus only when we cease hiding, denying the ugliness of sin. Or when we cease buying into the psychologizing of America. What is sin? A number of definitions that we can give that are rooted in the scripture, but one of the plainest is 1 John 3, 4. Sin is the transgression of the law. Sin is breaking God's law, any violation of God's law. Sin equals lawlessness. Lawlessness is sin. So it's not just necessarily just something that is sensuous. What does sin do to humans? Sin defiles. It's not only transgressing God's law, but sin pollutes. 1 Kings 8.38, the sin of man's heart is compared to oozing sores of a deadly plague. The closest I've been to that is a leper colony in India. What an incredible sight to behold. In Zechariah 3, 3, sin is compared to filthy garments. Sin is defiling, polluting, staining. 2 Corinthians 7, 1 calls it the filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Sin is also an expression of rebellion. It's an attitude that says to God, I'll do what I want to do, and I don't really care what you have to say about it. Now, even though I may never have said that, when I am tempted to sin, let's go now just for believers, genuine believers, I'm tempted to sin, and the conviction of the Holy Spirit is there, and I quench and grieve the Holy Spirit and go ahead and sin. I am saying, God, I don't care what you say about this. I'm going to do it anyway. That's the ugliness of sin. Sin is profound ingratitude. Acts 17, 28 tells us that in him, in God, we live and move and have our very being. He is the giver of every good and perfect gift. He makes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He makes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. He's, again, the giver of every good and perfect gift. Sin is profound ingratitude. It defiles us, it's rebellion, it's ingratitude, and it's incurable. Can the leper change his, can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leper his spots? And that's a rhetorical question, and the answer is no. Sin is an incurable leprosy to the soul. It cannot be legislated out, psychologized out, cured by religion, cured by preaching, cured by attending church, by good doing good deeds. A lady years ago, and I've made mention of this, who was under conviction of sin in her life, 
I walked into the building and I found her down on all fours, scrubbing bathrooms, trying to deal with her sin. Some years later, she came back. She and her husband came back and they walked down the aisle. She did and said, some of you know why I left. Please forgive me. And we, we knew the details. We didn't need all the details. She was dealing with her sin, and she was a restored soul. The everlasting burning of hell does not purify the conscience the consciousness of one's sin. Sorrow cannot cure one's sin. Punishment does not cure one's sin. If you read in the Revelation, God is almost like in decree, degrees turning up the burner on wrath. And instead of sinners humbling themselves, they harden themselves. Only Jesus is the cure of sin. The birth of Jesus has this as the bottom line purpose. Jesus came to save sinners. He came to pay the sin debt of his own. There's no other way. There's only one thing that alienates us from God, and that's sin. Why is this so? Because God is holy. Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, always holy, and the sinner is sinful, sinful, only sinful, always sinful, and therefore, how can God and a sinner be brought together? That's the greatest question in the universe. How can a holy God receive an unholy man? Only when sin is, sin is eliminated. And sin's penalty is paid. And sin's power is broken. And this is only done by the work of Christ. And so he had to come to Calvary. But before that, he had to come to Bethlehem. And be born of a virgin. So that he was not, in and of himself, tainted with sin. He had no sin nature. Tempted in all points as we but he was a sinless son of God. Sin defiles. Sin is rebellion. Sin is ingratitude. Sin is humanly incurable. Sin is hated by God. For all the laughing and the shouting and the jumping up and down and smiling faces while people are doing sin or talking about the sin they did, the truth of the matter is sin is hard work. Jeremiah 9, 5, the Bible says, they weary themselves committing iniquity. The tiredest, most weary, most disturbed people on the face of this earth are people who are slaves to sin. Behind many a smiling face are slaves to sin. And I'll bring this up. And some of you say, why do you keep bringing this up? Well, because the, 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 the statistics or whatever that word is are awesome. 
and I don't have them in my mind, but there is a, there are a huge amount of people in pulpits and pews this morning who are slaves to pornography. By the grace of God, I've never been a slave to that, but I have lost battles in that whole realm of lust in many occasions over 78 years. It's slavery. Proverbs 13, 15 says, the way of the transgressor is hard. Oh, we don't confess that. What we, Lord, I know I, I should live the Christian life and, and, and you want me to do this and go here and do that. And, but the Christian life is so hard. You know what that confession is? It is a bold face lie from the pit. Would you and I be willing to go home and believe Jesus? Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn and be, for my yoke is, what is the word? Easy. Easy and light. Oh, it doesn't feel that way to me. I'm going to, believe, I'm going to believe God and not my feelings. So I'm going to embrace what God says. And I'm not going to lie against God by saying that his way is hard when his word says the way of the transgressor is hard. Think of Samson. He's blind. And he's tied to this mill thing. And he's having to walk round and round. And so you look at him. And you look at that picture and say. The grinding. Blinding. Binding. Slavery of sin. All for a moment's pleasure. You sit here. Maybe someone sits here. Maybe you're just on the edge of dabbling. Don't be a fool. Flee. But you sit here, or many sit or stand in in the world today, driven by lust and porn and Anger and bitterness and greed and gluttony, selfishness, pride. It's the essence of sin. Blinded by stuff. Sin can so dominate the mind that it thinks evil, it plans evil, it conceives evil, and one day carries out evil. The sinner is a slave. Ephesians 2, 2, the Apostle Paul said on the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that the, the sinner, he's reminding the Christians who they were before they were saved. You walked according to your fallen conduct, your sinful conduct, the prince of the power of the air, the, you, the spirit working in the children of disobedience. And you were by nature, even as others, under the wrath of God. There's no problem greater than this when it comes to sin. 
we're under the wrath of God. In Revelation 20, the Lord will gather all of the unbelieving and cast them into the lake of fire that burns forever. This is not just cute, this is reality. Spurgeon said, man is hanging over the mouth of hell by a solitary plank and the plank is rotten. This is the ultimate ugliness of sin. When we receive that, we should be ready for some good news. The beauty of the birth of Christ is that Jesus came to save his children, to save his own, to save sinners. That is never precious to you until or unless you own your problem with sin. You never flee to Christ for mercy, for grace. You never rejoice in Christ until you have found him to be the one who has saved you from sin. The joy of the redeemed Christian is this. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. Jesus came to save sinners of whom I'm chief. How does that ring in your heart this morning? Can you say by the grace of God, I'm so glad Jesus came. I can't fully grasp. Some people say, uh, think that there's supposed to not be a the in the Greek, so they call him John Baptist. <laughs> I, I can't grasp how John Baptist in the womb of his mother worshiped Jesus. But he did. And everywhere we turn, in Matthew and Luke, when scenes are given about the birth of Christ, the sin issue is brought up, and there is worship, 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 adoration, praise to Jesus. Open your hymnals to 323. Let's look at the words before we sing it. If you're a Christian here this morning, this is the joy of your heart. Jesus came and dealt with my sin. He came and paid my sin debt. He came to Bethlehem. He came to Calvary. And so there's a real sense as a Christian. The Apostle Paul, who called himself the least of saints and the greatest of sinners... There was no confusion about whether or not he was saved, but he understood that though he was no longer a slave to sin, he was still, by nature, a sinner. And so you take this hymn as a Christian and walk, walk through it, not because you're doubting your salvation, but because you are saved and being amazed at what God has done. You're here, on the other hand, and you know in your heart of hearts, you're not saved. You're not yet a Christian. Flee to him. Come, ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you.
full of pity, love, and power. He is able. He is willing. Come ye weary, heavy laden, bruised, and mangled by the fall. If you tarry till you're better, you'll never come at all. The most glorious beauty is that the ugliness of sin is cured by coming to the Savior. And cured in your life when you receive Jesus as your Savior. And when you receive him as your Savior, the bondage of sin is gone. You become a follower, a disciple of Jesus. There are some here who, for the very first time, need to flee to Jesus. Oh, God, I'm a sinner. Be merciful to me, a sinner. Here are the keys of my heart, even the closet. I receive this testimony. This is a faithful saying, and I accept it, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm chief. Lord Jesus, thank you for making that real to my heart, left to myself, That would have never happened. But you brought a change in my heart. You quickened me with your life. You empowered me in repentance and faith. If you're a Christian, maybe like either here or you go home and you open your Bible to Psalm 32 and Psalm 51 and revel in a badly fallen Christian Old Testament believer repenting in Psalm 51, rejoicing in forgiveness in Psalm 32. This should be a day before the sun goes down when there is a restoration in your life as a believer. But if you're here without Christ, come you sinners. Come to faith in Christ. Cry out to him for mercy. Our Father, we bless you for the awesomeness of your word, the truth of your word, and for the truthfulness of the problem of sin. Oh God, may we not laugh at sin anymore. May we not enjoy it anymore. Holy Spirit, convict us at the first temptation. May this be a day of repenting of areas where we've allowed sin to come in and have a hold in our life. We've given Satan a stronghold. And so we want to heed the word of God to submit to God, resist the devil. And he'll flee. Lord Jesus, what a wonderful Savior you are. And our Father, we pray for the work of the Spirit of God in every heart. And thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.